Hearing people boast is such a common experience. Can you think of the kind of things people around you often boast about? It's easy to boast about what we accomplish. It's easy to tell stories um, that make us look good in front of others and put the spotlight perhaps even on a virtue that we have done or even on a silly thing that we have done or on a creative thing that we were able to accomplish. Uh, people can boast about how wise they are. Uh, people flaunt their wisdom before others in various ways, even just comments that sneak up on you as really a boast. We can boast about our relationships, the people that we know, uh, the people that we hang out with. We can boast about our education, what we're pursuing or where we're pursuing a degree. Uh, we can boast about material possessions or about adventures, vacations, or trips that we take. Sometimes, as Christians, we can even boast about our blessings as the material blessings that God gives us. And we speak about our blessings not so much in a grateful way, but in a boastful way. Some people can boast about religion, about their spirituality, even about how much Bible knowledge they know. Not all boasting is sinful or wrong boasting. We'll see in Scripture there are places that Paul speaks of boasting in a positive way. But even in our spiritual lives, we can fall for boasting that is actually corrupt, that is self-centered or simply misguided. In today's passage, we will see that not all boasting is bad. Yet knowing the difference between godly boasting and misguided boasting is key for the Christian life. Actually, in our text, those who promoted a false religion, a corrupt gospel, show it not only through what they teach, but also through what they boast in. So what we boast about reveals the orientation of our lives. I invite you to open God's Word this morning to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. We'll be reading from verse 11 to verse 18. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to verse 18. This is the last sermon in our series through the book of Galatians. So listen to God's word this morning as we embark on this last stop through the book of Galatians in the series. God's word for us this morning says the following. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised 
and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you join me in asking God to bless the preaching of his word for our hearts? Father, we are grateful for the way you have revealed yourself to us by your word. Lord, as we approach the end of the letter of Galatians this morning, we ask for the assistance of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would assist me in the proclamation of your word, and I ask, Father, that you would assist us all as we hear it. For the glory of Christ, and in his name we pray, amen. At the beginning of this text we have just read, we get a clue that we are approaching the end of the letter, that Paul is about to close the book. He says in verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. He says this in some other letters as well. It's his clue of saying, I am I'm giving you my signature here. I am giving you this one last shot to summarize what I have been arguing for in my letter. At the beginning of this book, and at the beginning of the series in Galatians, we saw how Paul's aim in the entire letter has been to convince believers to guard the gospel of justification by faith alone. Otherwise, all is lost. Guard the gospel of being justified by faith alone. Otherwise, all is lost. That's been the theme of the entire book of Galatians. But now at the end of the letter, after Paul has been bringing arguments after arguments of theological reasoning why we should hold on to being justified by faith alone, not by works of the law, Paul has also helped us understand what that means practically, what it means to live the Christian life justified by faith. Now at the end of the letter, he's telling us that we protect the gospel not only through the right doctrine, but through the right boasting. That we protect the, the gospel of being justified by faith alone, not only through the right doctrine, but through the right boasting. And the main point of the message this morning is that what we boast about shows the orientation of our lives. What we boast about shows the orientation of our lives. And it's easy even for us as Christians to have a good understanding with our minds, with our intellect, 
of the claims of the gospel, of the, of the doctrine of being justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet, when it's time to live out the Christian life, we end up boasting about the wrong things. So that actually what we boast about is truly a, a better snapshot, a better litmus test of what our lives are oriented towards. And we see this test of boasting as Paul contrasts the false influencers who are misguiding the Christians in Galatia to himself. And, and the, the difference will be not merely in what they teach about, the difference is in what they boast about. So, what we boast about shows the orientation of our lives. Two points this morning from the message, from the text that we have just read. The misguided boasting and the unexpected boasting. The misguided boasting and the unexpected boasting. I pray that this morning as, a, as we hear this message, this text, that we would be encouraged to consider a better boasting. The misguided boasting. We see this in verses 12 and 13. Paul calls out the wrong influencers that the Galatians have gone after. Uh, this is the last time Paul brings them up. And this time, um, he brings up not merely their bad theology. He's, he's brought up their bad theology up until now. Um, but now, at the end of the letter... He calls them out and calls out their characteristics of their actions and their motivations and how what they do is, is revealing that they're actually boasting in the wrong things. So let's look at, at what characterizes these false influencers. Four, four characteristics of these wrong influencers that show that they are boasting about the wrong thing. Uh, first of all, they are interested in appearances. We see this in the first part of verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. The, the wrong influencers of Galatia were pushing circumcision because they cared more about the external sign, the external change. Friends, when we think of religion or spirituality as only needing to fix our externals, we misjudge what Christianity is truly about. According to the Bible, what is wrong with mankind never starts on the outside, but on the inside. And the true remedy for our broken condition must start with a solution on the inside and not merely fixing something on the outside, putting an external sign on the outside, making a change on the outside. Oh, friends, we can be tempted to think that the changes we need in our spiritual lives are only a matter of external appearances. Friends, this is the religion of appearances. And it shows up in all sorts of ways in our lives. For the Galatians, it was circumcision. That's what the false influencers 
cared about, making sure that these Christians were adding on to their lives the need to get circumcised. Friends, it's no surprise that when we misjudge what is wrong with humanity, we misjudge the solution. Today, we might not be tempted to think that the external sign we need is circumcision, but there's a host of things we might put on as external signs, external cloaks to just cover us up on the outside as opposed to dealing with what's truly going on on the inside. So the first the first characteristic of these wrong influencers is they were interested in appearances. And today, this danger stays with us as well. A second characteristic about these false influencers is that they are unwilling to suffer for the cross of Christ. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. This is why they are trying to force the, the Galatians to get circumcised, so that through their appearances, they show to those around them, particularly in the context they were living, apparently there's a pretty strong Jewish population, Jewish zealots, who were very aggressive about anyone who would claim to be the worshiper of God and not be circumcised. So these false influencers said, hey, if we slap on the sign of circumcision on us, we can keep the forces of these Jewish uh, Judaizers uh, and their persecution, we can keep that at bay. Now, if there are opportunities for Christians to avoid suffering in a legitimate way, um, this text is not saying that we need to be looking after suffering. This text is not saying that if there are legitimate ways to be fleeing from one spot to the other uh, for safety, that somehow you are sinning if you are avoiding uh, persecution that way. That's not what this text is saying. But when facing persecution, if fleeing from persecution means that Christians have to change the truth of God, to twist the truth of God, uh, for the sake of avoiding the persecution, that is the illegitimate way to flee from suffering. Such fleeing would be a betrayal of God's grace and of God's truth. So if we're willing to twist the truth of God in order to be more acceptable to the world, in order to be avoided, uh, to avoid being sidelined or canceled by our culture, well, that would put us in a similar category as the wrong influencers of Galatia. Uh, today, as we are experiencing the revolution of the, of, of the sexual revolution of our culture, it will be very tempting for Christians to find ways to twist the truth of God about what God reveals to us about how He made us and, and retwist our, our, our view of humanity in such a way that we can avoid the, 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 the soft persecution uh, that can grow around us about what Christians believe about humanity, about sexuality, about how God designed us to be. 
Oh, friends, if we're tempted to twist the truth of God just to avoid being sidelined or pressured or persecuted by the world around us, we are in the same category as the Galatians. A third characteristic about, about what they were doing, Paul says, they were selective about the law of God. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Now, throughout the book of Galatians, when Paul has been arguing why we must hold on to being justified or declared righteous before God, not by, by our effort, not by our works, but by, by faith alone in, the, in what Christ has done for us through the cross. One of the reasons why we need to do that is because if we would want to switch that and be justified before God by our works, then Paul said, you have to obey the entire law all the time, consistently. And Paul says here, actually those who want to encourage you and, and pressure you to be circumcised, they themselves don't care about the whole law. They are, in essence, cherry-picking what they want from the law and impose their choices on you. One way to make sure that you are pursuing a false religion or a corruption of religion, of, of what God has really said in His Word, is to be doing the cherry-picking activity that the Galatian false influences were doing. And finally, the last characteristic about these false influencers is that they want to boast in the flesh. Look at how verse 13 ends. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Their boasting was misguided. Not simply because they were boasting in, in how many followers they had, but because these numbers, these followers that they, they were seeking to have were focusing on outward change. What got these false influencers excited was not the heart change of the Galatians. They boasted in the fact that the Galatians finally got circumcised. Now, it's not entirely wrong to boast about other Christians. These Galatians, or these false influences, were boasting, but it's not entirely wrong to be boasting about other Christians. Let me just give you an example. Paul does that in a few other places in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians 1.4. He says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. So the mere act of boasting about other Christians is not inherently wrong. It can be if you boast about them, about the wrong things. What was Paul boasting in, in, the, in the letter to the Thessalonians about other Christians? Well, he says in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. When Paul saw how the believers in Thessalonica were enduring the persecution and the afflictions, Paul boasted about them. Paul, posting in these believers, put the spotlight on their endurance and faith in the midst of persecution. 
But the false influencers in Galatia were seeking to boast in others for the wrong reasons, for their flesh, not for their faith, not for their endurance, not for what God was doing inside them, for their flesh. What do you boast about others reveals what you care about them. Does such misguided judgment happen today? Can we follow in similar traps of, of misjudging, misjudged or misguided boastings about others? The sad news is that such boastful Christianity is mushrooming around us all the time. Focused only on improving appearances. Focused only on a life of ease. Focused on avoiding suffering at all costs. Chair-picking from God's law. Only those things that interest us and boasting in the flesh of our followers. Friends, it's sad when churches and pastors boast only about membership attendance. And don't feel the weight of the quality of their spiritual lives going on in the lives of the members of the church. It's sad when, when members are just numbers. I'm going to read to you a quote that I've heard Pastor Mark Dever give in one of his books um, on what is a healthy church. It's a book that we encourage uh, new members who are considering to learn about membership to to read. Here's a quote uh, from a Scottish pastor by the name of John Brown in a letter of paternal counsel uh, to one of his pupils who was newly ordained in a small congregation. So here's a, the advice of an established old pastor uh, to a young pastor who took on the ministry in a small church. Uh, John Brown says, I know the vanity of your heart and that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. Friends, even about the life of the church, we can boast about others in the wrong things, just in their mere numbers, or other means of just the flesh as opposed to considering what's going on inside the hearts of those around us. Well, friends, misguided boasting can happen around us all the time. Paul, after exposing the misguided boasting of the wrong influencers, turns his attention to what he was boasting in. Paul, too, was boasting. And in the rest of this text, we're going to see some examples of boasting that are legitimate, that are godly. But Paul's boasting was very unexpected. What he boasted in takes us by surprise. So point number two, if we saw a misguided boasting for the wrong influencers, point number two, an unexpected boasting. What was Paul boasting in? Look at verse 14. 
But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a strange object to boast in. In someone else's death on the cross. Friend, if you're not a Christian attending our services this morning, you're probably wondering and thinking, that is bizarre. And it is. It really is. And it, it would do, do us and you no service to gloss over quickly how strange that object of boasting is. This is part of the reason why Christianity could not be a humanly invented religion or story. Because no one in their right mind would ever think of putting on the pedestal of Christian boasting a cross, a crucified man, and doing so especially in the ancient culture. Especially in the ancient times, the cross was a symbol of immeasurable shame. Today, after 2,000, century, 2000 years, 20 centuries of, of sort of Christian uh, influence, the cross is just a, a symbol of ornament in our homes. We, we have desensitized and we have become desensitized to the utter shame and scandal of, of a cross. In ancient times, in polite Roman society, uh, though even the word cross was unmentionable. They had other euphemisms, other nicer words to talk about the cross. Cicero would speak of it as the unlucky tree. Death by a cross was a stumbling block. Yet for Paul, in the, in the first century, he says, here's what I want to boast in, the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And it was his supreme boasting. Did you notice how he says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why boast in the cross of Jesus? Well, friends, you can only cross, you can only boast in something if you see its value. You can only boast in that which you find precious, worth of magnifying, worth of putting the spotlight on. You know, when you get to, when you get to experience or find a great deal, you naturally like to boast about your great deal. When you meet someone important, 
You like to talk about who you got to meet. We boast about that which we find valuable, precious, or important. So when Paul says, I want to boast in nothing else but the cross of Jesus, he is saying, in essence, let me tell you what I find extremely valuable, extremely precious, extremely important. It's not that I'm in this great program at UT or that I'm a student at A&M or that I finally get to live my life away from my parents on my own and I finally get to do and pursue my dreams that I've always wanted to or that I got this incredible job that I always hoped for. Oh, friends, Paul is saying, here's what I find to be so incredibly valuable that I, this is what I want to boast in. The cross of Jesus. Why? What is it so valuable about the cross of Jesus? What is it so precious that it's worth boasting in the cross of Jesus? Now, earlier in this letter, um, we have seen a number of benefits that Paul has mentioned why it's valuable and precious for us to boast in the cross of Christ. The first one is, is that through the cross of Jesus, we are justified by faith. Through the cross of Jesus, we are declared righteous before the judgment seat of God. We who have acted in rebellious ways, we have acted ignorantly of God. We have acted against his ways either because we have been ignorant of his ways or simply because we have purely chosen to act in our own ways, in our own rebellious ways against him. But Paul says, we are being declared righteous in the sight of God, not because of anything perfect that we have done, but purely because of the perfection of Jesus Christ. And he not only lived a perfect life, he died on the cross as a substitute for sinners like you and I. Taking the guilt, taking the punishment that our sins deserve, and instead giving us his perfection so that God now counts his perfection on your tab, on my tab, even though we have done nothing right. The only thing that's required is for us to trust and put our reliance on Jesus. That alone makes us righteous, makes us justified before God's throne of judgment. And Paul says, that is a benefit so precious to me that I want to boast in the cross of Jesus. <clears throat> Another benefit of the cross is forgiveness. Because of the cross of Jesus, because his death on the cross for us as a substitute for all those who would turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus, now the death of Jesus covers for our sins. So that God now can give us Forgiveness. God never just gives a free pass as a freebie. Oh, here's my first one to you. Let me give it to you. No, the only reason God can grant repentance, can, get forgive, can grant uh, forgiveness of sins to us is all based on the death of Jesus who paid for our sin and guilt. 
So forgiveness is another benefit that we get as a result of the cross of Jesus. Without the cross of Jesus, God could not forgive you. Without the cross of Jesus, God could not cancel or cover our sins. A cover for sins had to be made. And the rug was not going to be enough. Your good deeds are not going to be enough. The death of Jesus is enough. Another, another benefit of the cross that Paul brings up in the, in the book of Galatians is redemption. Because Jesus died as a substitute, God also frees us, rescues us, liberates us. From what? From this present evil age. That's how Galatians started. Turn with me to chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Redemption, rescue, to deliver us from this present evil age. Oh, friends, our rescue or redemption happens through the death of Jesus. So, just these three benefits that I mentioned so far, justification, forgiveness, deliverance, or redemption, are three key benefits that the cross of Jesus brings us so we can boast in. But Paul says these are not the only benefits of the cross of Jesus. Let me give you two more, and these two more are in our text. More benefits of the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus changes our relationship to the world. The cross of Jesus changes our relationship to the world. Look again at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What a significant change takes place in us, between us and the world, through the cross of Jesus. It's not merely Jesus who died on the cross, on his cross. Through his death as our substitute, the world has been crucified to us. This is strange language, isn't it? What does Paul mean when he says that the world has been crucified to him through the cross? As one Dutch theologian put it, the world has nothing with which to charm him and bind him to itself. That's what it means that the world has been crucified to Paul. The world has no longer anything with which to charm us or to bind us to itself. Now, let me clarify. It does not mean that we cannot appreciate the goodness of God's creation around us. The goodness of all that reflects the character of God in the world he has created. It doesn't mean that we need to now become world haters of everything that, that God created good in this creation. So I want to make sure that you don't take this to, to an, an unnuanced extreme. Whatever God created good, 
that reflects his character and values and, and his being, we ought to receive from the Lord with gratitude and thankfulness. And we ought to be good stewards of that world. And not to become slaves of that world, but to, but to master it, to have dominion over it. But the reality is that because of sin, the, God, the world that God created has been corrupted uh, by our own rebellion. So now, as Christians, we must distinguish what is the good part in this world that we ought to be thankful for and, and be good stewards of and use well, even our possessions, to use them well, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God and for others. So what are the things that are God created good in this world? And what are the parts of this age, of this creation, of this world that is governed and corrupted by sin and death in ways that enslaves us, in ways that it brings us into bondage? Friends, the world that Paul speaks of here refers to the world that has rejected God, the world that is apart from God, the world that wants to have nothing to do with God or with his value system or his truth. That dimension of the world, Paul says, it's crucified to me. It's not only that the world has been crucified to Paul, but that Paul has been crucified to the world. It's a two-way street. Paul has written off, as one brother put it, Paul has written off the world as a basis for glorifying and trust. That's what it means for Paul to die to the world, to write off the world as a basis for glorifying and trust. Friends, the only way this dual death can happen between us and the world is not through the law. It's not through our New Year's resolution. It's not through our efforts alone and our, our, our man-made power to do so. This death between us and the world happens only through the death of Jesus. Unless we go to the cross for the resource, for the power to unshackle our bonds, our bondage to this world, we are never going to be able to escape it on our own. Oh, friends, the death of Jesus unleashes the power that unshackles our binding to this world. To that part of the world, that dimension of the world that is in rebellion and in ignorance of Christ. Uh, friends, do you see the value of the cross as the means of your death to the sinful world? As the death of the sinful world towards you? Do you see in the cross of Jesus not only the death of Jesus, but also the death of the world towards you and of you towards the world? Now what's amazing with Paul mentioning these words is that for him, this dimension of the cross is not a drudgery. It's not the, oh, this is a fine print of Christianity oh, this is not what I signed up for. No, Paul comes and says, this is why I boast in the cross of Jesus, because it is the means by which the, the bonds that, that keep me in bondage to this corrupt, sinful age, 
from which Christ came to deliver me through the cross of Jesus, those bonds are broken. And Paul says, I want to boast in that. You know how difficult it is to fight off sin in your life if you're a Christian. Only those who are superficial about their sin experience a superficial fight against sin. (laughs) But those who take sin seriously, those who understand what Christ came to accomplish for us, begin joining Christ's side against the battle with sin. And when you do that, you realize how difficult it is to fight sin. How often it creeps up in our lives. How regularly it shows up in, in, in ways that we know and in surprising ways. Some of you are battling certain addictions and certain sin battles that are just difficult to break. It can be discouraging. It can become hopeless to feel like you can, can I ever break away from the power of sin, of this particular sin in my life? To you, brother and sister, hear about the power of the cross. We can boast in the cross of Jesus because through the power, through the cross of Jesus, we experience a power that makes the world be crucified to us and us to the world. It's not through the law that we break the power. It's through the cross of Jesus. So I pray that we would consider that the death of Jesus on the cross is not only the crucifixion of Christ, but the crucifixion of the world and the crucifixion of us to the world as well. And then another and final reason why to boast in the cross of Jesus, not only it changes the relationship between us and the world, but it actually brings a new creation. Look at verse 15. Paul gives us the final reason why he boasts in the cross of Jesus. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, I would have been um, okay for Paul to say, for circumcision counts for nothing. I mean, that's what he's been saying so far throughout the book of Galatians. But now he says something surprising in this verse. He also says, and even uncircumcision doesn't count for anything. In other words, it's not about which side are you taking in this battle between circumcision or uncircumcision. You can be on the so-called right side, namely stay uncircumcised, and still be in the wrong. Because what really matters is being a new creation. And what this means is that in the cross of Jesus, he is not merely putting the, the externals away. In the cross of Jesus, he's actually accomplishing a new work inside of us. And the best way to describe it is a new creation. This is the work of regeneration that we have read earlier in our service. When the Spirit of God works in accompanying the preaching or the declaration of the Word of God and in awakening us, from death to life spiritually inside of us, bringing into our souls a new nature, starting a new creation inside of us 
the result of that is we begin believing the word of God. We begin repenting of, the, of our sins and trusting Jesus. This is regeneration. The spirit of God uses the proclamation about the gospel, about the cross of Jesus, to bring about this new creation, this new change. Oh, friends, this is what the death of Jesus accomplishes. That's why Jesus is described in parts of the Bible, in parts of the, in parts of the, of the, uh, of the New Testament, as the new Adam. The song we have sung earlier in the service, Jesus being the, the new Adam, through his death for our sin, God is bringing about a new creation with a new Adam so that all those who are in Christ, all those who are in this new Adam, get to be a part of the new creation that God is bringing about. Oh, well, friends, this is the work of regeneration that God brings about through Jesus, through the Spirit. That's why declaring the news about the cross of Christ is so significant. That's why relying on the work of the Spirit to bring us alive with Christ is so significant. This is why Paul boasts in the cross of Jesus. It's not only the means of severing our bondage to this world, it's also the means of ushering in the new creation that God intended to bring from the beginning. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the passage Mason read earlier in our service. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, this is why it's worth boasting in the cross of Jesus. Because when you are in Christ, by faith, when you put your faith in Jesus and trust in him, you are put in him by faith. And when you are in Christ, you experience this new nature, this new creation. Friends, no matter what forms of religion we adopt externally, no matter what external signs we slap on our face or on our bodies, no matter what things we do in our behaviors externally, or no matter what you refuse to do, it does not matter unless we experience a new creation of God inside our hearts. If we don't experience a new creation through, through the preaching of the gospel, then no form of outward religion and no form of outward irreligion will count for anything. The cross of Jesus not only brings us an unexpected boasting, but it truly is the better boasting. When you realize the benefits of the cross of Christ, you look at this unexpected boasting and looking at a, at a cross, on a Savior dying on a cross, and you realize, oh, this is the better boasting I need. Friends, we could not bring about the new creation by our efforts. We, knew, we could not work hard enough or strong enough for more righteousness in our world, for more justice in our world, for more rightness in our world. We should, we should put our efforts towards those, but we could not do enough of those to bring about a new creation. No matter how many wells we dig in Africa, 
for pure water. No matter how much we fight against war and against injustice, though we should, we will not be able by our good efforts to bring about a new creation. This is why we need to be excited about and boasting in proclaiming a crucified Jesus because through his cross alone, God is able to bring about a new creation. And Christians get excited about that. So when, when we get more excited about mercy ministries that have nothing to do with the gospel or little to do with the gospel, we undermine the boasting that Paul encourages us to boast in. This is not a plea to ignore mercy ministries. This is not a plea to ignore justice issues. But we can get excited about those things apart from the cross of Jesus. And in that case, we would be boasting in misguided directions. And there's no power. There's no true lasting change except in the cross of Christ. Friends, we protect the gospel not only through the right doctrine, but through the right boasting. What we boast about shows the orientation of our lives. Would you consider carefully, what is it that you like to boast in? What is it that you like to boast about? Don't be satisfied that you are in a church that has the right statement of faith. Don't be satisfied that you are in a church that does church membership. What you get to boast about shows and reveals what your heart orientation, what your life orientation is truly about. May we boast in nothing else supremely than in the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for revealing to us the immeasurable richness and treasure and wisdom and righteousness of Jesus Christ and what you give to us through your son, Jesus. Would you help us, Father, to grow not only in a mental, intellectual understanding of these truths, but in our hearts to grow in our affections or seeing the treasure of Christ, so that we would recognize and realize that all that is good in us comes not from what we do by ourselves, but what we do as a result of Christ being inside of us through faith. We pray, Father, that we would boast in nothing else but you. Help us to be proclaimers of this gospel that changes what we boast in, Pray all this, Father, in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen.